Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What's up, everybody? This week's guest is James Dallin of Addiction Talk on Instagram or jamesdallin.com. Uh, me and James met about six, seven months ago on social media, and um, yeah, we've just been talking. He, uh, you know, he's been super helpful in sharing ideas and giving me information and helping me uh, promote my page. He's just been—he's been a super cool friend, and we've gotten to—we've done some Instagram lives and chatted a few times. Um, but yeah, I think you're really gonna enjoy this conversation. James goes into high schools and middle schools and does drug and alcohol prevention and awareness. Um, he's doing big things um, out there. He's educating those who need it the most, uh, our kids, you know what I'm saying? So uh, yeah, without further ado, here's James. We had such a good time. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, I'm Rex. And I'm Raina. And tonight our guest is James Dallin, um, known on Instagram as, uh, as addiction talk um me and james have been talking online and together for about six months now um five six months and uh he was one of the first people to really get behind me and what i'm doing um online he's been a big help i'm sure i've gotten a lot of followers through him um some i know for sure i appreciate that but uh welcome james i appreciate it thanks for having me i'm excited I'm excited rex excited to have you brother um so why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, why why you're pertinent? <laughs> why why you're... <laughs> I don't know about pertinent, but that yeah. Uh, thanks. I um my story is I I've, I've been out of the active drug world for just over four years. I hit my four year mark sober date on February twentieth. So awesome. just just barely a couple okay. weeks ago. But um, so I'm very very lucky. Uh, my story is I grew up in, I grew up, well, I'm from Utah. I grew up uh, just south of Salt Lake City here. And um, so I grew up pretty, pretty uh, sheltered. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I, I didn't really know that much about drugs all the way through high school, stuff like that. In fact, the first time I ever saw a drug with my own eyes was when I was 19. And it was marijuana. Back then when you saw marijuana, you know, He's like, run. We're like scared to death. And I know things have changed a little bit, but um, like you go to prison for a pocket full of marijuana back then. You know what I'm saying? If you're an adult, but so things have changed. So I was pretty, I, I grew up in a bubble, I feel like, um, to be honest with you, growing up in a small town. And I just didn't see drugs. I didn't, didn't worry about it. I just was never tempted with it. It was never in front of me. Um, so I went, my story, my story is a little bit different. I went three decades without ever touching anything. I had no alcohol. I haven't never sipped alcohol, smoke, hot, nothing. So, you know, with that said, because of that, I became a little bit arrogant. What I mean by that is I felt like I was above becoming addicted to a drug. Right, I made it right. three decades. I've said no for three decades. And so my thinking at this point is like people that do drugs, or drink alcohol or people that are lower than me. I was an arrogant punk for thinking that and that they didn't have 
morals. They didn't have goals. They didn't have ambition. They didn't have, you know, they're kind of like the dirty people downtown. And that right. was just such arrogant, false thinking <laughs> on my part. And I know that now. I learned it the hard way, but I learned that now. Um, that I was just absolutely wrong on that. Um, so because of that, what I had going on is I had a couple businesses at that point, and they I lost them. It was a real estate brokerage, and I had a catering company, and I lost them. Um, uh, was was the market just flattened out as far as house sales go? So nobody was selling houses, so I lost my company. And that was the greatest accomplishment up to date for me to open up that company. Um, for many reasons, there's many reasons why that is, but just to make a long story short, it was a miracle. I was so proud of myself to get this company, like I did it, and um, to lose that two years after I opened it was a devastation to me. And so, it was in that moment where I gave up. Now, I always say, you know, everybody says have a plan A, B, C. You know, what you, what are you going to do if certain things happen in life? Well. I was three decades old, so I, nothing's going to happen as far as drugs and alcohol go wrong. I wasn't ready. I think you need to have plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. I mean, go on. And you really have to plan it out. And you have to think about it. And never excuse me, never think that you're above it. Right. Because that's when it starts getting dangerous. You know, um, just because I made it three decades doesn't mean that they can't come and get me. So businesses went out. And that's when I tried my first year. You know, that's when I tried my first beer at a friend's house. I was down. I was thinking the world is going to end, and I was cool with it. I was cool with it, anything. That's how bad it was. It's like a depression I didn't even know existed in this world. Really. You know, I never felt this way before. So I took the beer. And I was I was amazed. Like, all of a sudden, I understood. You know, I had three beers. And I, I started to understand why people would do that. You know, I understood it. I understood. So that's kind of what started it a couple of days after that. I went looking for vodka because I knew enough to know that if beer did that, what would vodka do? So I went hunting for it, didn't know where to even find it, Googled it, found it in the local liquor store and got it. And it was two weeks time, that, that vodka took me out. It took me out, I was an alcoholic within two weeks. I never came off that, uh, that alcohol. So the vodka, and I was an alcoholic for two years. Um, which was just a devastation to my family. And, you know, I lost my house, property, everything I had. And I was just a non-functioning alcoholic, just a waste of time. And I would say the saddest part about that is that um, I don't remember my kids with a few exceptions. I don't remember my family members, my kids. And that's the thing that's the hardest thing for me right now to do with, um, is that fact. So, I got off alcohol because the doctor said my liver was tanking it. I was drinking so much. I had to have a drink like every hour, a shot, every 45 minutes hour. So I quit alcohol. And to make just a long story short, I quit alcohol. I was sober for 10 months before I was introduced to meth. Um, I couldn't go sell houses anymore because I had a record because I actually did get a DUI while I was drinking. So I couldn't go back and sell houses. So I had to go apply for jobs. I got a job at a small store in Midvale, Utah as store manager, and I hated it. I hated it so bad, and I was depressed, and I can't go get my vodka, and the story goes on and on. Anxiety, depression, hated the job. 75 hours a week before Christmas, and what's hard about that is whenever you work for yourself before, uh, working for anybody else after makes it, it's really difficult to do that, or at least it is for me. Yeah. You know, it's really difficult to do that. Yeah. So, you know, I went from making my own schedule, doing what I want, when I wanted. You, you know what I mean? So I'm depressed in this store. A regular customer comes in every morning. And the only reason she came into my store was to buy the supplies that she needed for the bar that she worked at in South Salt Lake City. That's why she was head bartender. There. And because she came in every day, she was, she was, uh, I got to know her real well. She got to know me. She knew I was an alcoholic on the floor. I had anxiety, depression. She knew I couldn't have alcohol. But she comes in one day and she says um, to me, uh, she basically says, James, anybody in the store? I said, no, you're the first, you know, first customers always. And she said, I got something for you. And I'm, I'm not thinking too much of it at that point. But then she says this, I've got something. And this is basically word for word what she said. I've been doing this for three to four years. 
if you take it, you will have a lot of energy to be able to do this work, no problem. Anxiety and depression will go down, you'll be high functioning. And then she said, it, it's odorless. That's what she kept saying, because it's not like alcohol, people can smell it come off your body, nobody will know. And she says this, she says, even your wife, your wife won't even know. And I thought, what's she doing, man? And she hands me the, a little bag, right, and puts it in my hand. Now I know it's a drug, but naive, dude, I don't know which drug it is. <laughs> you know, I don't know. And then she says, well, what that is, is crystal meth. Now, immediately, I'm looking at her. And when I think of people that did meth because I'm an arrogant punk, right, I didn't really understand it. I'm thinking it's just people on the corner, just like going crazy. Right, That's right. what I'm thinking in my head. And she, I'm looking at meth, and she looked pretty good. I was So now I'm doing the math. Wife, no odorless, high functioning, and the world is going to end. I was so depressed at night. It's just like the deal sounded good, man. So I shot myself in the foot again, and she started to leave. And I said, "Come back. I need to I, give me a lesson on how to do this this drug here. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to do." So she gave me the lesson, and uh, basically, I went I went back to my office. I did the drug in my store that day. That's what started it. It's not really something you want on your Google search. How do you do math? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, exa exactly right. Oh man, I really didn't. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was crazy. I mean, right there in my store. By day four, I just did the drug in my store for four days straight. Um, and by the night of day four, I just walked out of that job. I was like numb. I was just, I was just crazy, man. And I love, like, I love people. But it's like weird because when I'm in the schools talking to these kids, it's the hardest part of my presentation to explain. Like I could literally feel my compassion for people leave, like leave. It was such a dark feeling. And that's when I knew the change was happening. That's day three. Uh, because a regular customer comes up, we know each other's name. And she came up and I actually looked right through her like she was just like I wanted to make her disappear somehow. Like I just anything with a heartbeat. I did not like. And so by day four, the night of day four, I, I took the keys out of my pocket and just left the store. Didn't say anything, just left. That's what meth did to me on day four. So I go home and I, I get a little bag ready. I haven't slept, by the way, in four days. And um, so I go home and I'm getting this little bag because I'm going to leave because I'm selfish. I'm, it's James time. Now my wife's sitting there going, what is going on? Because we just came off the hardest two years of our marriage of me being an alcoholic on the floor. Now, right. if it wasn't, everybody says, if it wasn't for this person, I wouldn't be here. Uh, if it was not for my wife, Emily, I would not be here. There's no question about it. Um, right. She helped me get off alcohol. She's been a great support my whole life. So um, she's sitting there as I'm packing this bag going, what's going on? Because I have no emotion. And I said, I'm going to leave for a couple of weeks. I want some James time. I deserve it. Life's been bad. And if I ever went anywhere before, especially for two weeks, she'd come with me, right? She'd come with me. Right. And the, kid, the kids are asleep upstairs. The kids are asleep upstairs. And um, I said, don't try to find me. Don't call me. Just please, just leave me alone. Don't use your GPS on your phone. Don't try to track me. And then I shut the door. But right before I shut the door, I said, hey, I quit my job. So, you know, I, by the way, I quit my job. And then I shut the door. No feeling. Like, no feeling. I still, to this day, can't believe I did that. Well, I left, but it turns out I didn't leave for just two and a half weeks, not two and a half months, not even two and a half years. It was just under five and a half years that I left. My kids and my wife chased that drug. So I followed that drug to South Salt Lake City, where I stayed close to it. That's it. That's all I cared about. So that's my story that that's pretty much how it all happened obviously there's a lot of details in between but i followed that drug to that bar i lived in that bar for the first year and a half i lived in a bar i didn't care and i became crazy and i'm not the biggest guy in the world and i was smaller than i am now because i was smoking so much meth i was crazy i would try to so dangerous because like i almost enjoyed confrontation with the biggest dudes that came into the bar and let right. me tell you let me tell you, I got thrown around that bar pretty good. I didn't feel. It was just weird. It's crazy. Uh, but somewhere inside, that's what you felt like you deserved. <clears throat> you felt yeah. like you had your ass kicked because you were out doing this and not at home with your family. Like somewhere inside of you, you knew you were fucking up. And yeah. like, so 
like we project you know what i'm saying right and right, right. absolutely yeah and it, you know i felt invincible and no emotions so it was so i lived in that bar for the first year and a half the bar and the bar owner's house that lived a couple of blocks away she was a 70 year old lady who owned the bar named carol and um that's what i did that's what i did and um you know, then after the bar went out of business, after a year and a half, I lived in a, in a, in a drug house, garage storage units, and in my car for that five and a half years, that last five, last three and a half years. And, you know, so you go from having all this whatever, thinking you're the coolest guy, arrogant, to being on the streets, um, chasing a drug. And you really realize that this stuff can really happen to anybody. And nobody is above it and the way i used to look at drug addicts and alcoholics has completely changed people don't make fun of or trash alcoholics and drug addicts to me i don't i don't allow that because i love them they're capable they're good capable people every one of them are now there's some bad players in there that you know do some some really bad stuff you know, when you get violent crimes going along with your drug use, that's a little bit different. We got to look at that. But for the most part, they're good people. And they're just as good as me. Not below, not above. We're all good. So I really, I really feel a connection to that, that um, those people on the streets. I feel for them. And I, I know what it's like now, you know, firsthand. So I was humbled. I was humbled, you know. Uh, so to put a long story short, five and a half years on year five and a half, I was basically just staying in my car, you know. I was just staying in my car. I was withering away. It's like 110 pounds. And I just sit there and cry. You know, I come low off the drug. When it came low, it started to fill. And I hated that. When that happened, I just started to cry. I didn't know how to get out of it. I wanted to get out of it. I literally parked myself in emergency room parking lots. And I pray that I will just somehow be able to get out. And I park there because it's like a sense of comfort for some reason to me. And then also I blended in 24 hours. I wasn't standing out because I was in an emergency room parking lot. Nobody would be suspicious of me sitting there. But So I got arrested right after that, right after that in a, in a drug deal. And, and that's what got the, the wheels rolling. As far as me coming out of the drug world, that's the short story. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in between there, but the thing is, with when I say I got busted in a drug deal, that's what got the wheel. It wasn't the drug deal got the wheels turning, but it was because I wanted it that I was able to quit. It was because I wanted it. I right. um, I don't know how people that go to jail or prison um, for drugs. And I got bailed out after 12 hours, very lucky. But these people that are addicted to the heroin and to the other stuff, and they go to jail and they're just there. And I don't, I have a real big issue with that. And then also, where do they go when they come out? A lot of these people, they don't have anywhere to go. I was lucky I had somewhere to go. You know, where do they go? A lot of times it's family. When I lived in the drug house, that's a family business. They get busted, they go back to the, I mean, so it's very, and everybody's situation is different. So, I'm talking a lot here. Hopefully I'm staying on track, but I um I just have a different perspective. And that's that's what I'm doing now is I'm trying to spread uh, that message to these kids that this stuff doesn't just happen in middle school or high school. It certainly does. And statistically, that's where it's going to happen. Most likely if it does, you know, the older you get, the less likely that you will use. Um but that's not the case, 100%. It can happen at any point in time, and you've got to be ready. You got to be ready, because I believe everyone will be presented with that, especially today. Especially yeah. today. I have a, uh, I have a buddy that. Uh, so, so <clears throat> to touch on something that you said, like I'm, I'm one of those people. Like you know, um, I went to, I came to Colorado in. Christmas Eve, 93, by November of 96, I was sentenced to my first prison term. And 
I, it's funny because in the beginning, it was a catalyst for change. I got to the Department of Corrections and I changed my life completely. I went by all the rules. I stopped breaking rules. I stopped doing drugs. Um, I did everything I was supposed to do. And every time I saw the parole board, every six months, they would tell me, you're manipulating the system. Set back. You're manipulating the system. Set back. So on a three-year sentence, I did 27 months. And I never lost a day of good time. So I, so like with, with your good time, that's literally every day of my sentence. And uh, I think I got out two weeks before my mandatory release date when they had to let me go by law, by statute. But uh, it started a vicious cycle. Cause when I got it, when I finally got out, then they had me do all these rules, like all these other rules. And I'm like, well, and I, I made it for a few months, but what set me up was my parole officer was like, you've done so well that I'm going to go ahead and let you drink and smoke pot. Just don't do anything else. So I was like, okay. I was going to school at the time. I was at a college town. I had a job at a, a bar. Like a, it was like a, a pub, bar and pub. And uh, I just drank, drank and drank and drank. And then I got to go up to Boulder, Colorado for spring break. And first chance I had, I was doing dope. Went on the run. I went back to prison for a parole violation, but it changed my whole perspective. I was like, man, I got nothing waiting for me out there. I have no real reason to do good because they're just going to make me do all my time anyway. So literally from November of 96 until November of 2005, I was only free for about eight to 12 months. Um, it was a cycle. Like I'd get out. I would, they give you a check when you get out. I'd take that check. I'd cash it at the bus station in Pueblo. I'd take the bus to Denver, walk out the bus station, cop some dope, get high, <laughs> then try to figure out where I was going to go to spend the night. Like that, that was more important. Yeah. That just went on, on and on. And uh, so I feel you, man. There are so, it's getting better, especially out here in Colorado. I don't know how it is in Utah, um, but I know, uh, Colorado is make there's a lot more opportunity for dudes who want to do good when they get out. Cause like, that was the difference. Like um, when I got out this last time, cause I, I, on my last relapse, I caught a case, got probation with suspended sentence. I ended up violating um, and went back. But this time when I got out, I had a plan. I went to a sober living house. I, you know what I'm saying? Like I had already had, <clears throat> support waiting for me when I got out. You know what I mean? So like, I like what you said. It wasn't just the arrest. It was your determination, your desire, you know, and not just that you wanted to get clean. You wanted that for three and a half, probably five and a half years. You probably didn't want to be using, but it's when you were willing to do the work, when you were willing to look at the issues and look at the problems, you know, like you hear all the time, like, Oh, you know, recovery is for people who want it. I kind of call bullshit on that. I say recovery is for people who do it. Yeah. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like you can want it all day long. And I know for 27 years of using, I wanted to stop. Well, maybe not the whole time, definitely the last five or six, you know what I mean? Right. right. Uh, so you touched on being in schools. Uh, and I, I, I know that that's what you do. Um, that's your thing now. But uh, do you want to tell Raina and the audience what it is that you do now? Yeah, sure. I am um, very lucky. I, uh, I had a friend that, that got me set up. And she's a health teacher in this uh, local school here. And I was out of the drug, active drug world for seven or eight months at this point. I just got off probation. I was ordered to 24 months probation. And I I guess if you do good, you get off early. So I got off after six months. There's a couple months after that, she invited me into a classroom or health class just to kind of talk about my experience with drugs and alcohol. So I did that. I didn't have a presentation. I just went in and just kind of, you know, just talk, you know, just talk from the heart kind of thing. And, um, and then after that, she just kind of, uh, she put an email out to other teachers that, you know, they may want to have me come just tell my story. So that's how it started. And it you know, it wasn't long until I was just really, I was doing it full time. And I, I don't know quite how it happened. I'm, I feel so lucky though. You know, I feel so blessed. I'm able to do this because 
honestly, this is, I believe, the one of the major factors of what's kept me focused. You know, on what I, in the hard days, especially when I have these kids and I go to these schools. So, I before COVID, I was doing it full time every day, every day up until COVID, and then it started coming back. We're doing a part time. The schools would close, and you know, like the, all the things going on. But so now I'm back in it. I'm almost full time, um, but uh, it's been pretty much part time for about the last year. But uh, it's been amazing, man. These kids, they're they're awesome. They they are so strong. I worry about them. I don't know about the kids out there where you are in Colorado, but the kids here especially when I bring up the word fentanyl, which is a big part of my presentation now. Yeah, yeah, I was asked that. That was where I was going next. I wanted to ask you, because you know a lot more about fentanyl than I do. Like, I follow you on Instagram, and I live, and like, I watch your, I, I see your posts about, and because of your posts, I investigated more and found out that like a big thing that the cartels are doing now is they're doing press pills that look like benzos, but they're actually cut with fentanyl. They're just yep. some other powder, and it's like, and like everybody's like, oh, like, blah, blah. It's not a whole fentanyl pill. It's a pill that's nope. got do a whole fentanyl pill. That's enough to kill me, you, and her. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, I'd like to definitely hear, like, because uh, I know you've got the statistics, because this is what you do. You got the knowledge. So, drop it, man. We want to hear all about it, like what they're doing. Uh, yeah. They I, get I get passionate about this. There's a lot of emotion that I have in this because of a, the variety of reasons. But let me tell you this, first of all. I asked the kids to raise their hand if they ever heard of the word fentanyl. Out of an auditorium, sometimes I'll get 10, 15, maybe. And that's here in Salt Lake. I don't know where about everywhere else. In my classes today, I asked, you know, students, a group of uh, 40 per class. I did like four classes today. Um, in each class, we had just a handful, maybe. That's a problem. That's a big yeah. problem because... Like you said, this is an emergency. This is a national emergency. Um, the number one killer for adults between the ages of 18 and 45 is now fentanyl. It is now fentanyl over everything else, um, including, you know, the, the, the sickness going around. So it's a big problem. Now, 2.2 pounds of this, so like, is enough to kill 400,000 people. I didn't believe that at first. So I started really studying this. This was about a year ago. And it's true. Like you said, it's just a few grains of salt of this stuff, this pinch of this fentanyl, 50 to 100 times more potent than, than, uh, uh, morph than morphine. Right. So, so they put this, like you said, it, it's, it's, it's man-made, the synthetic, comes into, from China, most of it's come from China, into the cartel. And like you said, those cartels are pressing this stuff into these pills, and they are good. These pills, the exact texture, the exact you know um, stamping, the, the the numbers, everything's the same, except for there's nothing about it that's a Xanax. It's just fentanyl. It's right. just a few grains of fentanyl. And our kids are dropping off like flies. More today. This is what I tell them in class. Just today, I told them this. More today than yesterday. More today than last week. There's going to be more tomorrow than today. It's just getting worse. And it frustrates me because nothing's being done about it, number one, down there in the South, for the most part. And it's killing our kids. It's killing our kids because they don't know about it, number one. There's, there needs to be more uh, thousands of us, right? There needs to be just right. shouting this out. This is an emergency. These kids... I've had three calls from different school teachers in the last four or five months, texts, calls, lost their students. I gave presentations to these kids. I take very much offense to that. They listen to my presentation. I tell them about this stuff and it's still happening. And I get it. That's not my fault. But that, that, that hurts. Like when I was in the drug world, I knew a lot of people that overdosed and passed away. But to have these little, these kids, these students do that, 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 that brings on a whole different thing for me. You know what I mean? I so, but this yeah. fentanyl uh, is scary. It's scary because well, it's a different game now. Like, I mean, I know you don't have the experience, but like I was doing a lot of drugs as a teenager, but the drugs we were doing, we knew what we were doing. 
when right. we got we were doing coke at a party we were doing coke if we were lucky if anything it was baking soda or some other kind of cut baby laxatives getting numb. <laughs> right right we're worried about the cut killing us like even when i was doing heroin like every once in a while i remember um god it had to be like 1989 1990 because it was before i quit my senior year in high school or yeah, my last year in high school, I wasn't doing heroin. Um, I remember in South Philly and in, I think it was Manhattan, people, junkies started dropping. And like, here's the thing about junkies, like hair, like to me, junkie is a heroin addict. To me, dope is heroin. Cause that's, I've been doing it for so long that that's what it used to be. Um, and uh, so the thing about really hardcore heroin addicts, if people start dying in a certain neighborhood that sells a certain kind of drug, especially where I'm from back East, they were little wax bindles and they would all at each uh, like drug dude. What I don't want to say kingpin, but like each big dude who, who was the one packaging and his brand, they would have a stamp on it. Like I remember back in the day, there used to be like AT&T, MCI, uh, uh, super God. And then there's like all these different things. But I remember, it was like 89, 90. I was like 15, 16 years old. There was this one called Tango Cash. And it killed in two states. It killed like three, 4,000 people in like. Wow. And it was because someone had cut it with fentanyl. Wow. And yeah. It was like such an unheard of drug back then. Like you heard about it. Like cancer patients had suckers, like fentanyl suckers. You know what yep. I'm saying? Uh, they had the patches, the time release yep. patch. But it wasn't something that like you thought of as like a recreational drug. So like now the game's loaded. You know, um, we have adult children who um, we're fortunate here in Colorado. You can just go to um, this place called uh, Northern Colorado Health Network and they give uh, overdose kits and fentanyl testing kits. Like uh, we're not promoting that our kids do drugs, but we're not. <laughs> we understand they go to parties. They're in their there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. 20s, they're in their teens. It's around. We give them to them. So if somebody does bust it out, it's like, hey. Throw a couple grains in this tester and see what you're Test doing. Test it before you Just do see it. what color it is. Don't die for it. It's, it's not, not going to be enough to even take away from your high. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, yep. if somebody, you know, like with Narcon, uh, naloxone, however you pronounce it, the, the stuff that uh, prevents opioid overdose. Yeah. Yep. Hey, if somebody's falling out, hit them with it. Because the reality is, if they're not overdosing from opiates, it's like shooting up saline. It's not going to do anything. Yeah, it's not We've hurt. had doctors tell us you can do it over and over and over and yeah. over and over. Hurt you. So, like, the reality is, is we live in a 
an alcohol culture, a drug culture, a rape culture. Like these are things that you can't get away from. So you have to educate your children. You know, and this is why I love what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're, you're in the trenches, man. You're in there telling these kids what they need to hear. And like, man, I remember when I was a teenager and they came in, uh, I remember this used to be this one guy. He was an ex New York cop. His name was David Toma. And, uh, he was hardcore, man. He talked about like finding like babies and microwaves from people who'd been smoking crack and like, you know what I'm saying? Things like that. And I used to think like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, you're so full of shit. That shit ain't real. And then I went and lived it, you know, like I've been in shooting galleries in Philadelphia where I'm pretty sure the person next to me just overdosed. So I just grabbed whatever bags of dope he had left and moved to another spot in the room. You know, I'm not proud of this, but these yeah. are things that happen. You know what I mean? And these are things that society doesn't want to look at especially like our education system, our political system. You know, it's funny, like now we got this whole thing where they're giving out clean drug using kits and stuff. And it's a whole big stink with between Republicans and Democrats. And I'm like, man, I'm like, why don't we take that money and put it into education and treatment? You know what I'm saying? If you're putting $60 million and making sure that crackheads are not burning their lips or getting diseases on the pipe, you know what I'm saying? Like, why don't we, put that money into detoxes and treatment and safe sex kits or overdose kits or test kits, things like that of this nature, or putting more money into schools budgets for having professionals like you in or individuals like me, people can go in and be like, Hey man, we've been there. We're not fucking around. This ain't a joke. This is not something that we can ignore. Like I like to prep for the shows. So I was looking at the DEA website um, a little bit earlier today and between April 2020 and April 2021, 100,000 overdoses. And they say, I looked at this graph. I think I, uh, oh, I found it on an article. I'll actually link the article in the show notes. It's it's an amazing article about fentanyl. But it shows drug overdoses from like 1980 until 19, or until 2019. And each drug class has a color like heroin, opiates, regular, like, like legit opiates that come from poppy, not synthetic was like uh, one color. And then cocaine was another color. Methamphetamines was another color. Uh, prescription drugs were, uh, are synthetic opiates um, were a light blue and bath salts, research chemical methamphetamines, not crystal methamphetamine but these different molecular things that they're selling is meth. Now the shit that you were probably doing. Yep. Yep. There's a spike in like 2017, 2018, it just shoots up. And then in 2018, 2019, where all the other drugs stay the same. There's not more heroin overdoses. They're not more cocaine or alcohol deaths. These are like you said, fentanyl, fentanyl and this fake ass meth that's coming out of China. And like the DEA saying that like the reason that fentanyl is taken off is because before to ship kilos of opium, you had to have bricks and hide it. It was like a hard smuggling thing. Now they're taking this fentanyl and they're turning it into our lady of Guadalupe statues or t-shirt dye that they just throw it in this, in a solvent, bam, and it breaks it down. You dehydrate it. Now you've got crystalline fentanyl. And it's like, holy shit. It's like, how do you combat against that if you're the Drug Enforcement Administration or your customs? There's no way. So we're not going to stop the drugs from coming in. What we have to do is what you're doing. We have to educate the kids and, and, and what I'm doing and provide treatment for those who are trying to get over their shit. We got to meet in the middle and, and spend that money instead of clean crack pipes put it into school so that they can educate the kids so that they don't need the fucking clean crack pipe kids. Uh, right. I agree a hundred percent, man, on everything you said. Uh, education is huge. You know, the thing that I try to do, you should, to make an impact on these kids. And I learned this real quick. If you don't know the latest, like TikTok dance or challenge, like I don't, then <laughs> you, you, it's really hard to keep their attention the whole time. But what, what's worked is, to just keep it so real, so real that everything that I say, I put a picture up above, behind me, a real picture of me in the world, where I live, the drug, what it looks like, consequences, my mugshot, all of it. You know, I put it in there. And it's so important that we keep this front and center with these kids and create 
uh, the reality, you know, have them understand what the reality is and see it for their, you know, for themselves, what, what can happen. But this fentanyl, like you said, has changed the game because even when I was in the drug world four years ago, I, this wasn't a deal. This wasn't a big deal, you know. Um, it's scary. It's scary. And not enough people are talking about it and not enough is being done. So it, I, I believe it's a, a national emergency. I do. I do. I think it is. And um, until we treat it as such, like you just said, you mentioned, I don't know how we get ahead of it. But what we can do is just continue to just speak out as much as possible. That's, that's about what we can do. Just education, you know. It just amazes me that, you know, like, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because I don't want to get shadow banned. But <laughs> the past couple of years, we had this huge thing that's come up that not to be disrespectful to anybody who's lost anybody hasn't really killed two more many people that normally die every year. But then over the past three years, we have this huge, huge national epidemic where our 18 to 45 year olds are dropping like flies. And it's because they are fighting a battle that they have no intel. They have no, they don't have the tools to combat the people that they're fighting. It's like, it's like kids on smartphones. You know what I mean? Like it's a, a fuck adults on smartphones. It's like anybody on smartphones. We as human beings haven't evolved to compete with technology for our own attention. We, right. you know, like the, 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 the tobacco industry did it. The alcohol industry is still doing it. If you tell me that the alcohol industry doesn't target kids and teenagers and college age kids, then I'll call you a liar to your face. Either that yeah. or you're naive that yeah. you haven't watched TV in 40 years. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they absolutely are. Mm -hmm. uh, but until we are able to, at a national level, you know, it's funny, like, what was it, 150 years ago, Nixon declared war on drugs? You know what yep. I mean? This is the longest war the United States has ever been in. That was 1972 or 67 or something like that. So we're yep. talking like 60 years ago. And we've gotten no better. No better. Gotten worse. The, the people who are selling us the relief now, whatever you want to call it, uh, are the same people who got fined six, seven, eight billion dollars for creating an opioid epidemic. You know what I mean? Like, and now all of a sudden they're like our trusted big brothers. Like, oh yeah, man, I'm sure you got our back. You know what I mean? You just yeah. got our fucking yeah. strung out. But now we're supposed to trust you that you got our best interest. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like the, I don't know, man. I feel like I sat and was quiet and just kept to myself and did my own thing for so many years and was like so negative and so wasteful and such a taker that now I just, I feel like I have to speak yeah. on what's going on. You know what I mean? And I, 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 I'm not going to turn, I, I refuse to let this show become a political show in any form, but this is different. This is different because we're talking about like our children, our next generation, yeah. you know, because if it's 18 to 45 year olds, it's not like all of a sudden on their 18th birthday, they're like, oh yeah, man, I think I'm going to go try some drugs. You know what I mean? You're an anomaly. Like you are, bro. I've never met anybody like you who's gone their entire life. And then for some reason or other, halfway through went all in, you know what I mean? So like, I think it's awesome just to hear a new story because I've been hearing stories of recovery for like 15 years and like yours is a new fresh story. And I'm like, Oh wow. I'm like, okay. Like there's a whole new perspective. Like I love hearing you talk. I've listened to some of your other talks and stuff. And uh, I just think, man, that we are not giving this the attention that it deserves. You're right. You're right. And you know what? I agree with you as far as the political stuff and, it's not even a, it is about that. We, it has to, unfortunately, it, we have no choice but to, to try to sift that political stuff out because it's right there. That's, it's, it's, we have to deal with that. And the truth is, is that there's things that could be done right now to slow this down and it's not being done. And, you know, we, you know, everybody has their different opinions on that. And I think it's a tragedy, but uh, we know what's happening. We know what's coming in. 
there's nobody in office that doesn't know that this stuff's coming in at the rate it is. We, we could do more, but um, it is what it is. And like you said before, though, it's still going to come through. We're still going to get it. Um, but I think we could slow it down a little bit. But it is, you know, I mentioned I do, I do my last quarter of my presentation, I was just fentanyl. So I made a movie for these kids to see. And before I, I show them this movie, they're like, uh, you know, you can kind of see it in their face, kind of whatever, you're trying to scare us. But I put this movie together um, of kids, their age, look just like them, you know, um, that took fentanyl the very first time and then went lights out. And I did this, it's a two minute clip and it goes this fast. It shows one teenager after another, this quick, boom, 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 for two minutes straight of kids that have overdosed and gone lights out. And then you see their eyes because then they see it. Like, and that's happening right now. This isn't two years ago or three. This is right now today. And it's just easy to find on Google. And I probably could have gone an hour, not two minutes. I probably could have gone an hour at that pace. And that's the kind of thing I try to tell them. Guys, got to pay attention to this. Because like we've mentioned in, 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 this, in this chat, it's not like it was. It's way different. It's way different. And, you know, with me having kids my, myself, I have three. It, I, I talk to them all the time about it. It just takes one time. If you do not know where that pill came from, if you do not know, which 90% of the time these kids have no clue, they don't know if it came from a legit pharmacy. They got it from the friend who got it from whatever. They don't know. Um, you're taking your life into your hands right there. I mean, just on one, you know. Um, I've been heard it's being laced in marijuana. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I read that that's the case. I don't know if that's all true. I've got to look at that more. But we got to we got to be careful on every front because these people, the, the cartels, they don't care about you. It's not like they're they're saying, okay, well, this batch needs to go to the this weight people that weigh this much because you know they don't care. They're just trying to get people hooked. They're just trying to get people hooked on it and get that repeat business. But in the meantime, if your body's not expecting or, you know, you're used to getting a Xanax and you've got nothing but a fentanyl in there that's 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine, you're going lights out, most likely. You know, so it's chilling. But um, I know it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really frustrating because I feel like I feel like there could be more done, but it is what it is, and we are where we're at. And I'll, I'll just continue to just do what I'm doing and just speak up about it, you know. And um, so, as like as a parent and as a mother of five kids, like what what else would you guys suggest? You know, other than obviously, I, we're we're like almost brutally honest with our kids because yeah. we feel like the the only way we can really arm them is to forewarn them um if they don't have the information they don't know yeah and i tell so, them there's not a drug i haven't abused so if you have questions about anything ask me please i'm like your encyclopedia freaking britannica right here but yeah. other other than just really open conversation kits to test things like what what else would you guys suggest i, I know so I'm going to speak from a point. I was, going to, I was going to touch on this. I'm not real proud of this, so please don't think that I'm bragging about this at any point. But uh, I made a pretty good living in my early 20s selling drugs to high school kids. And uh, I had rules until I didn't. You know what I mean? Like at first it was, you know, like, oh, you know, I'll sell weed. What's weed? You know what I mean? Like, and it's funny because I was that guy. People talk about marijuana being a gateway drug. Marijuana is not a gateway drug. People don't do pot, smoke pot and like, oh man, I want to do something harder. Pot dealers are gateway drug dealers. Like when I had regular people that I, I gained trust with because I smoked with them and we got high together. Next thing you know, it was like, well, hey, do you guys want some mushrooms or do you want some acid? And then, then it's pills, you know, like ecstasy and Molly and things like that. And like, they would always ask me, well, is it safe? Like, well, didn't kill me. You know what I mean? But like, 
I was somebody who did psychotic amounts of drugs on the daily, like whether it was psychedelics or psychotropics or benzos or injectables, whatever it was, you know what I mean? So like, but I actually had a conscience, like I didn't sell heroin and meth and things like that to high school kids, but I knew a lot of people who did. And I knew a lot of people who sold sketchy shit, like even to their friends, you know what I mean? And like, I didn't like to lie to people when I was a drug dealer. They'd be like, oh, is it good? And if I did it, I told them, well, blah, you know, if I had it, I'd tell them, I don't know, you know? And, uh, but, but there's not very many drug dealers out there with consciences who actually think about the repercussions of what they're doing. Like, I think that I, I kind of, that was one of my superpowers is that like, I was a junkie with a conscience. Like my friend tells me all the time, cause he was there for my last relapse. He's like, man, he's like, you're literally the same person getting high as you are when you're not like, it's, I've never met someone like that before, but like, you've got these, like, I, I know some skeevy dudes, man, who as soon as they would get a new drug, the first place they would go is the high school. And like, they don't, and this is before they've even tested it. Or like, I've got friends who like did meth and would sell every other drug, but meth to support their meth habit. Right. So like, they're like buying drugs from their meth dealer and other people and selling it without any knowledge of what it's doing. So like, and if, so like, if that's going on, and this was 25 years ago, you know what I mean? Like when I was doing that 27 years ago, like I can't imagine like too much has changed. And like now, like if you get a pill that has like B109 or whatever the pill thing is, right? For that pill. So you go on BAM, drug.com or whatever it is where these kids go. Like that's the thing that fascinated me on my last relapse because it was my first relapse with smartphones. It was my first time doing drugs with smartphones. And I'm talking to these like, 19, 20, 21 year old like college kids and, and they're like doctors with their knowledge of what these pills and stuff are doing and like these other party drugs that are like chemicals that these lab dudes are making over in like Amsterdam and stuff and send it over to the United States but like really it's probably coming from China you know what I mean like it's you learn a lot when you start researching this stuff man especially like on the DEA website there's a uh have you seen that PBS special where they're actually in the field out, out in the herd of cattles with the Mexican cartel dudes who are cooking the, uh, I forget what they call it. Um, they got a name for it, but it's like uh, they're cooking up the heroin and they're telling them, the, the reporters that, uh, yeah, we don't use opium anymore. It's too much money. Now we can just use this tiny little bit and it gets so much more and it's so much more addictive. They're like, they're not even lying. They're like the cartel was like, yeah, come on, sure, tell. <laughs> yeah. Because the reality is, it's not, unless other things change, it's not going to change. You know what I mean? That's like they do polls that like, you know, like 75% of the people in this country don't believe the news, but they watch it anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, like we, we know that alcohol is absolutely a poison that's been killing our nation for since it's been here, but we still promote it. And like people, like it's weird. I, I follow this one chick on Instagram and she's always talking about how alcohol is the only drug in the world that you have to explain why you don't do it. Yep. I've heard that too. Exactly. You know, people are like, oh, you want to drink? No, I don't drink. You don't. Why? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? it's And like, it's killing, it's killing more people. Well, it was until right. fentanyl came along. It was killing more people than all the illegal drugs combined a year. The alcohol. It was killing me. It was killing me in two years. Meth, I went on for five and a half. It was killing me, meth was, but slowly. You know, alcohol is a totally illegal drug. It's a legal drug. Yeah. Yes. And it's a drug that wants to see you dead and is happy to see you miserable. I mean, so is sugar. That's a whole nother issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's Girl. right. That's another episode or two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. You know, and I think I, I like what, what yeah. you guys are doing with your kids. And I think that that's, that's where it needs to start. I think more parents need to wake up and understand what we're facing right now. Because the parents don't know. A lot of the parents are just close or, or their kids won't do that. That's mm -hmm. the most dangerous type of thinking that you can have as a parent. 
you yes. I think you go into the you go into the, the teen years, your kids, and you you just expect that they're going to be presented with it because the st- statistically they are, and yeah. and they got to be ready. I mean, this is like you know our military trains every single day. We don't get in a war every day, but we train every day. We spend billions of dollars a year to do that, because, so we stay ready. I don't care what kid it is; they need to be ready. Um, and the parents, it needs to start with the parents. I love what you guys are doing. Telling your kids, hey, what do you want to know? Let's go. Let's talk about it. I do the same thing with my kids now. I didn't before, but I do now. And they they know they can come and talk to me. They know everything. Listen, I don't I don't beat around I don't beat around the bush. I tell them everything, and it's important. And they're doing well. I know this because this is my relationship with my kids now. Because I talk to them like like you were saying, but I think it needs to start at the dinner table or in the house somewhere. And these parents need to wake up and understand that their kids are under assault. They're yeah. being attacked. It's basically they're being attacked with this fentanyl. I, that's how I look at it. Just, and these parents it, need to know. They need to wake up. Ignoring the fact that it's there isn't going to make it go away. It's not a check engine light on your car. Right. Right. Not if you ignore it. And to think that, you know, it's funny, like, uh, I can't remember what philosopher it was, but he talks about how if you if you have, I think it was Plato, that if you give someone everything, like if they have all the money, all the women or men that they want, all the food, all the riches, all the wealth, they would eventually start hurting themselves, cutting themselves, or like torturing other people because they're so bored because they have nothing else. You know, this is why like you hear news reports all the time of like rich kids or celebrity kids going bad. And it's like, oh, they had everything. It's like, yeah, they had everything. And like they, they're, they're treated like, Oh, not my kid. You know, I saw your post the other day on Instagram about that. It's like the most dangerous parent can say is not my child. You know what I mean? And that's just stupid thinking. There's stereotypes about the preacher's daughter for a reason. You know what I mean? The better off the child has and the more opportunities, in my opinion, the more opportunity to fall. Yeah. The pedestal, the harder, the the higher the fall. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I agree. Um, it is so true. They and you know what's funny on my post with fentanyl, I had a I had someone say to me, "Why are you just posting about fentanyl? The other other drugs are killing as well. Why why are you just posting about fentanyl?" They they messaged me and said this, and, and I, I mean, I talk about every day all drugs are bad and they 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 have the potential to kill you, but we're at war with fentanyl right now, and when you're in a war, you take out the the enemy that's that, that's doing the most damage you take out the the biggest threat and that's fentanyl right now so we don't ignore the other drugs absolutely not but what we do do i believe is that we got to focus on what's doing what's doing the most damage in this moment and um it's fentanyl by far i mean it's crazy 2019 um 2700 pounds seized at the southern border of fentanyl in 2019 2020 um, it was just under 7,000 pounds seized. 2021, it was just over 11,000 pounds of fentanyl seized. This is just seized. You know, we're, a lot's obviously coming through. So far in 2022, we have just under 3,000 pounds. So more seeds at the southern border. And I mean, so 2019, we had a total of 2,700 pounds seized. And in the first month of 2022, we have over about 3,000. I think we're, you know, we got to brace ourselves and understand where we're, what we're up against. And everybody needs to be talking about it. And that's my message, you know. So, um, so don't know. What if people don't know? What if they're, they don't know addicts? They don't know addiction. They, they know nothing, but they have teenager middle school kids. How do they find out? Oh, uh, they... Well, that's a good, you know what? That's a great point. How do they? I mean, my job is to go in and talk to these kids, you know, and hopefully they might bring it back to their parents. A lot of them might doubt it. I, I mean, Michael in one ear and out the other. That's a great point. How are we educating those those parents? Because you're right. That should be a focus. That should be a huge focus. The kids, the parents are the protectors of these kids. And as a protector, you got to know what you're up against. You got to know what your enemy is. Yeah. So that's a good point. I think. You know, that's something that I think needs to be explored the day before yesterday. Yeah. Uh, 
So, but I, you know, that's a great point. I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I don't either. And uh, I was going to say, we're going to, I'm going to do some research and I'm going to find somebody who does have the answer to that. Yeah. Start like a resources list or something. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely. Yes. I will include some resources in the show notes for sure. Um, Some, some informational stuff for parents um, at least to open the rabbit hole, hopefully. Um, Try to link some uh, videos, some some readings, some things. Um, yeah, definitely, man. That was a really good question. It's very yeah, often, good. very often that I don't have an answer. <laughs> it's an excellent question. It's something maybe have a you or a you. You know what I mean? They they have been sober and living their lives and raising their kids, and they've heard of fentanyl in some medical context right grandma had cancer yeah they've no they don't even know of like what's going on this may be the first time they're hearing of what's going on you know so um i will link i'll put a link to that pbs special um um that now i watched that like i was like i think i watched that after you and i did that facebook live um then i was man i was like this is insane i can't believe that they're just there and then like the, the guys who are cooking it, the cartel leaders tell them things like, oh, drinking beer. Because, like, they have to watch the wind. Because there's a certain point when the, when the soup is boiling that if you breathe the fumes, you will die instantly. Like, you, it literally just breathing the fumes will kill you. So they watch the air. And when the wind changes, when they see the, the wind sock change, they just turn their backs and hold their breath. <laughs> there aren't any personal protective equipment. Now, the camera woman... A cameraman and the, and the reporter were, they were like, looked like they were like, Hazmat. yeah, for real, like Ebola, you know what I mean? But, um, and then the cartel leaders have these guys, they tell them this myth that drinking beer staves off the poison. So not only are they out there in the hot sun cooking this fake ass heroin, but they're drinking beer while they're doing it with no, <laughs> like, and they do it out in the middle of pastures. Because there's so many cops around that the cows protect them. They hide them. Right. I'm like, this explains why the number one foreign substance found in tar heroin is cow shit. <laughs> Did you know is that? that? True? Yeah. I, well, I don't know about now, but it was in the 90s and the early 2000s. That's why there was so many forms of new MRSA and staph infection coming out and stuff. Right. people literally shooting up cow shit. Wow. Damn. Crazy. It's a crazy well, world. Well, James, um, I, I'm gonna wrap it up. Uh, man, it's been great having you on. Um, I would love, we'd love to have you on again here in the future. Um, yeah. Talk about some other things, maybe. Um, but uh, tell the people where they can find you. Yeah. Well, first of all, I appreciate. It. I'm excited for for you guys, um, and I love your story, Rex, and um, your queen, as you call her. Call her. I appreciate you guys having me on. But uh, yeah, you can reach me at um, jamesdown.com. Just, that's my website. And then Addiction Talk just on Instagram is probably the best way. Those two right there. Yeah. Awesome. So. Well, man, it was great having you on. Um, thank you for sharing the knowledge. Thanks for sharing your story, man. Uh, you better press that. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't see you, but I'm still there. Yeah. yeah sorry. Are we back? It's okay. Uh, all right sorry about that um no, that's okay. yeah it's great having you on great hearing your story um i'm sure we'll talk again in the future we'll definitely keep in touch um off the camera but uh yeah wish you the best well, I appreciate it. yeah and, uh, and thank you for what you're doing like thank you so much for being willing to be vulnerable and humble and go into schools and tell like our most precious people your story like thank you so much for what you're doing because I, I agree with you. I think um, I think meeting children when they're learning is the most important place where we can plug this stuff in. So thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's been very, it's helped me, I think, more than anybody, but I, I, I appreciate that. It's been very rewarding. I'll tell you that. So I appreciate that. Yeah. No worries. Well, brother, you be well and have a good night. Sorry to take up your evening and take you away uh-huh. from your, we all appreciate it. Um, we'll talk to you later. Okay, sounds good. Thanks for having me, you guys. I appreciate it. All right, bye-bye. Namaste. All right, you too.
Hey everybody, thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you enjoyed the show. Just want to say if you or anyone you know is in need of help, please feel free to contact us at nolovepodcast.com or follow any of the links in the show notes. There is help. You're not alone. There is hope. If I can do it, anybody can do it. All you have to do is pick up the phone or click that link. Namaste. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.